0: this reading of the poem of the man god the private revelation of the life and ministry of jesus of nazareth now out of print this five volume set of books is a narration of the life of jesus which extends from the birth and childhood of the virgin mary through the public ministry of jesus his passion and resurrection and closes with the assumption into heaven The narration is interspersed with direct dictations from Jesus for the sake of the whole world. These highly inspired visions were recorded by Maria Valtorta around the time of World War II, yet she did not consider herself the author. They were first published without her name shortly before her death, and only posthumously was her name added. My sole aim with this podcast is to share this lost treasure with the world. I hope you will enjoy them as much as I have. And if you do, please share them. Thank you for listening. Film of the Man, God, book one, number 18. The Annunciation of Elizabeth's Pregnancy to Joseph. The little house of Nazareth appears to me with Mary in it. Mary, a young girl, as when the angel of God appeared to her. This simple sight fills my soul with the virginal perfume of the house. The scent still remains in the room where the angel gently waved his golden wings. That divine perfume was all concentrated on Mary to make a mother of her, and now it emanates from her. It is evening because shadows begin to invade the room into which so much heavenly light had descended. Mary is kneeling near her little bed and is praying with her arms crossed over her breast, and her face bowed down very low. She is still dressed as she was at the moment of the Annunciation. Everything is exactly as it was then. The flowery branch is in its vase. The furniture is in the same position. Only the distaff and the spindle are now leaning in a corner, the former with its flax, the latter with its bright thread wrapped around it. Mary stops praying and stands up. Her face is flush as if it were lit up by a flame. Her lips are smiling, but her eyes are shining with tears. She takes the oil lamp and lights it with a flint. She checks that everything is in good order in the room. She straightens up the blanket on the bed as it had been displaced. She adds some water to the vase containing the flowery branch, and she places it outside in the cool of the night. She then comes back in. She takes the folded embroidery from the bookcase and the lamp and goes out, closing the door. She takes a few steps in the little kitchen garden along the side of the house and then goes into the little room where I saw the parting goodbye of Jesus and Mary. I recognize it, although some pieces of furniture which were there previously are now missing. Mary disappears into another small adjoining room, taking the lamp with her, and I am left alone in the company of the embroidery work laid on the corner of the table. I can hear Mary's light steps moving to and fro. She then Makes a noise with water as if she were washing something. Then there is the noise of broken sticks, and I understand that she is lighting the fire. Then she comes back and goes into the little garden. She comes in once again with some apples and vegetables. She puts the apples on the table, on an engraved metal tray, possibly made of copper. She goes back into the kitchen, for the kitchen is certainly over there. Now the flames of the fireplace are merrily casting light through the open door into this room and make dancing shadows on the wall. Some time goes by and Mary comes in with a small brown loaf and a bowl of hot milk. She sits down and dips some small pieces of bread into the milk. She eats them slowly. Then, leaving half of the bowl of milk, she goes into the kitchen and comes back with the vegetables on which she pours some oil and she eats them with the bread. She quenches her thirst with the milk. She then takes an apple and eats it, the meal of a little girl. Mary eats and thinks, and she smiles at some inner thought. She looks up and all around the walls and seems to be telling them a secret. Now and again she becomes serious, almost sad, but soon her smile is back on her lips again. There is a knocking at the door. Mary gets up and opens it. Joseph comes in. They greet each other. Then Joseph sits on a stool in front of Mary on the opposite side of the table. Joseph is a handsome man in the prime of life. He must be thirty-five years old at most. His face is framed by his dark brown hair and a beard of the same color, and his eyes are very sweet and very dark, almost black. His forehead is large and smooth, his nose thin and slightly aquiline. His cheeks are roundish of a brown hue, but not olive-colored. On the contrary, they are rosy near the cheekbones. He is not very tall, but he is strong and well-built. Before sitting down, he has taken off his mantle, and it is the first I have seen of its kind, because it is a full circle. It is held close at the neck by a kind of hook, and it has a hood. The color is light brown, and it seems to be made of a cloth of coarse wool, proof against water. It looks like the mantle of a mountaineer suitable to shelter from inclement weather. Although before sitting, Also before sitting down, he offers Mary two eggs and a bunch of grapes, somewhat withered but well preserved, and he smiles, saying, The grapes were brought to me from Cana. I was given the eggs by a centurion for some repair work I did to his cart. A wheel was broken, and their carpenter is ill. They are new laid. He took them from the henhouse. Drink them. They will do you good. Tomorrow, Joseph, I have just finished my meal. But you can take the grapes. They are good, as sweet as honey. I carried them very carefully, so that they would not get spoiled. Eat them. There are plenty more. I'll bring them tomorrow in a little basket. I couldn't this evening, because I came straight from the centurion's house. Well, then you have not had any supper yet? No, I haven't, but it does not matter. Mary gets up at once and goes into the kitchen. And she comes back with some milk, some olives and cheese. I have nothing else, she says. Take an egg. But Joseph does not want it. The eggs are for Mary. He eats with relish his bread and the cheese and he drinks the lukewarm milk. He then accepts an apple and his supper is over. Mary takes her embroidery after clearing the table and Joseph helps her and he remains in the kitchen even when she comes back here. I can hear him putting things away. He pokes the fire because it is a cool evening. When he comes in, Mary thanks him. They speak to each other. Joseph tells her how he spent the day. He talks of his little nephews, and he takes an interest in Mary's work and in her flowers. He promises to bring her some beautiful flowers, which the centurion has promised. They are flowers we haven't got here, but they were brought from Rome, and he promised me some little plants. Now, when the moon is in the right quarter, I will plant them for you. They have lovely colors, and a beautiful scent. I saw them last year because they were in bloom in summer. They will scent the whole house for you. Then I will prune the trees when the moon is right. It is time. Mary smiles and thanks him. Then there is silence. Joseph looks at Mary's fair head, bowed over her embroidery, a look of angelical love. Certainly, if an angel were to love a woman with the love of a husband, he would look at her thus. Then Mary, as if she were taking a sudden decision, lays the embroidery on her lap and says, I also have something to tell you. I never have anything to say because you know how retired I live, but today I have some news. I heard that our relative Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, is about to have a child. Joseph opens his eyes wide and exclaims, at her age? At her age, Mary replies smiling. The Lord can do everything. "'and now he is giving this joy to our relative. "'How do you know? Is this news certain? "'A messenger came, one who would not tell lies. "'I would like to go to Elizabeth's to help her "'and tell her that I am rejoicing with her, if you will allow me. "'Mary, you are my lady, and I your servant. "'Whatever you do is well done. "'When would you like to go? "'As soon as possible, but I shall be away for some months. "'And I will count the days waiting for you.' go and don't worry. I will look after the house and your little garden. You will find the flowers as beautiful as if you had taken care of them. Only, wait, before Passover I must go to Jerusalem to buy certain things for my work. If you can wait for a few days, I will come with you as far as Jerusalem. I can't go any farther because I must hurry back, but we can go there together. I will be happier if I know that you are not on the road by yourself. When you want to come back, you can let me know and I will come and meet you. You are so good, Joseph. May the Lord reward you with his blessings and keep sorrow away from you. I always pray him for that. The chaste couple smile at each other angelically. There is silence again for a little while. Then Joseph gets up. He puts his mantle on and he covers his head with the hood. He says goodbye to Mary, who has also got up, and he goes out. Mary looks at him going out, and she sighs rather sadly. She then lifts her eyes to heaven. She is certainly praying. She closes the door, carefully. She folds the embroidery, goes into the kitchen, puts out or covers up the fire. She makes sure that everything is in order. She then takes the oil lamp and goes out, closing the door. With her hand, she shields the feeble flame that flickers in the cool evening breeze. She enters her room and prays once again. And the vision ends thus. Then Mary says directly to maria my dear daughter when i came back to the reality of earthly life after the ecstasy that had filled me with the inexpressible joy my first thought was for joseph a thought as sharp as a rose thorn that pierced my heart and raptured among the roses of divine love who had become my spouse only a few moments before by this time i loved my holy and provident garden guardian since the time when, by the will of God manifested to me by the word of the priest, I had become married to Joseph, I had the possibility of knowing and appreciating the holiness of the just man. When I became united to him, my dismay at being an orphan disappeared, and I no longer regretted the lost retreat of the temple. He was as sweet as my deceased father. With him I felt as safe as with the priest. All perplexity had disappeared, nay, it had been forgotten so far it was from my virginal heart. I had, in fact, understood that there was no reason whatsoever for hesitation or fear with regard to Joseph. My virginity entrusted to Joseph was safer than a child in his mother's arms. But now, how could I tell him that I was a mother? I endeavored to find suitable words to give him the news. A difficult task, as I did not want to boast of God's gift. And on the other hand, there was no way of justifying my maternity without saying— the lord has loved me amongst all women and has made me his servant his bride neither did i wish to deceive him by concealing my condition from him and while i was praying the spirit of whom i was full said to me be silent Entrust me with the task of justifying you with your spouse when how i did not ask i had always relied on god "'and I had always allowed myself to be led by him "'exactly as a flower is led away by running water. "'The Eternal Father had never abandoned me without his help. "'His hand had always supported me, "'protected and guided me so far. "'It would do so also now. "'Oh, my daughter, how beautiful and comforting "'is the faith in our eternal good God. "'He holds us in his arms as in a cradle. "'Like a boat, he steers us into the bright harbor of goodness.' He warms our hearts, comforts, and nourishes us. He bestows rest and happiness, light and guidance on us. Reliance in God is everything, and God grants everything to those who trust in Him. He gives Himself. That evening, I elevated to perfection my reliance as a creature. Now I was able to do so because God was in me. Before, I had the confidence of a poor creature, such as I was, a mere nothing, even if I was so much loved as to be the faultless one. But now I had a divine confidence because God was mine, my spouse, my son. Oh, what a joy to be one with God, not for my own glory, but to love him with a total union and say to him, you only, only you are in me. Please assist me with your divine perfection in everything I do. If he had not said to me, be silent, I would probably dared have dared to say to Joseph with my face bowed to the ground the spirit has penetrated me and now the embryo of God is in me and he would have believed me because he held me in high esteem and because like those who never lie he could not believe that others lied yes to avoid hurting his feelings in future I would have overcome my reluctance to praise myself but I obeyed the divine command and for months after that moment I felt the first wound pierce my heart It was the first pain in my destiny of co-redeemer. I offered and suffered it in atonement and to give you a guidance for similar circumstances in life when it is necessary to suffer in silence for an event that casts a bad light on you in relation to those who love you. Entrust God with the protection of your reputation and affections. If you deserve God's protection with a holy life, you can proceed safely, even if the world is against you. He will defend you with regard to those who love you and will cause the truth to be known. Now rest, my dear, and be more and more my dear daughter. And the vision ends.